0: Thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. If you have not, be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight, where we have some amazing merch and plenty of other things for you guys.
1: Welcome back to finish the fight a gaming podcast where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form as always, I'm your host Alex Kendall and I'm your host Derek Baker and today we're
0: traveling to the stars
1: ooh not Hollywood Boulevard, but to the actual stars the stars I like <laughs> that yeah you know, which that little, I think- like Jersey Boston New York accent I'm not sure what yeah that that's where all is, astronauts but- are from in my Mind, I guess.
0: And so today, we're going to be traveling around millions and billions and trillions of planets. And in my opinion, one of the coolest passion projects that's come about. That is definitely, let's say, a rags to riches story, a redemption story. Probably one of the biggest redemption stories in
1: gaming uh, to date. If we had done a podcast on this when No Man's Sky came out, it would have been one of probably the worst podcasts ever because we would have just been ripping on this game forever. But the work that they've done. To try and bring no man's Sky back to what it was intended to be um is a really cool story, and it's it's interesting to see where passion can kind of overlap with you know just general success because they could have just taken the money and run, but they didn't do that yeah, and and to see where the hype train starts and
0: stops, you know Sean Murray has talked about like listen. I didn't think we overhyped the game. Like, yeah, we were kind of vague in what you can do in the main trailer. But then that let the rumor mills of Reddit and Twitter and YouTube kind of take off, assuming that, you know, this is the game to beat all games. This is finally when an indie game is going to be like quadruple A status. You know, it's going to be above all. And unfortunately, it didn't live up to that. You know, whether we are going to talk about, you know, like the leaks really bringing doubt to people's mind or overhyping it too much or even Sean's interviews that he did what brought it to that and what brought it to where it is today where we're celebrating No Man's Sky's fifth anniversary and you know they've even promised ooh a secret update coming out so they've been doing this over and over to continually build on this game to continually bring that crowd back and that's really where we're going to dive into
1: it. No Man's Sky previously codenamed Project Skyscraper is a procedural science fiction game developed by English developer Hello Games out of Guildford, UK. The game features planetary exploration, deep oceans, space-based battles, predators and prey, and much more across various procedurally generated worlds. Each world has its own ecosystems, rewards, and dangers, leading the player through the four core pillars of the game, explore, fight, trade, and survive. The game debuted at VGX 2013, with a trailer showing off the game's world, starships, flora, and fauna. Another trailer for the game premiered at E3 2014 during Sony's presentation, detailing the game's creature identification system, dogfighting, and seamless space travel between planets. It was released in North America on August 9, 2016, and in Europe on August 10th for PlayStation 4, and on August 12th for the PC community. It was released on Xbox One and Wii game on July 24th, 2018. So yeah, so we see this start to come out
0: as we get these hype trailers of just so much stuff coming out and, you know, Hello Games really wanting to get those four core pillars and Sony, when they do partner with them, push those in a trailer showing four different videos of those ideas or what you can do with it. So let's break down a little bit about Hello Games. Oh hello, welcome. <laughs> Howdy, losing my mind at the beginning of the episode, guys. Here we go. Howdy games. Howdy games. Hello games was founded in February of 2008 by Sean Murray and Grant Duncan, together with friends Ryan Doyle and David Ream. Murray had been a developer at Electronic Arts prior and had grown tired of developing repeated sequels and decided to leave to form his own studio to make a game he's always wanted to make, Joe Danger which was the studio's first release in 2010, which was this mobile platformer. At the 2010 Development Awards, they won two awards, Best New Studio and Best Micro Studio. In September 2010, they were listed by The Guardian as one of the 100 most innovative and creative companies of the previous 12 months. The popularity and success of Joe Danger led them to develop a sequel, Joe Danger 2 The Movie. Murray said that coming back to do a sequel after having left electronic arts from doing sequels led to a midlife crisis for himself and gave rise to the idea of No Man's Sky, inspired by science fiction of the 1980s with an entire universe of over 18 quintillion planets created through procedural generation. Developed by only a small four-person team led by Murray, No Man's Sky was revealed at the VGX 2013 award show And generated a large amount of hype for the game. So that was the first time they brought this together. And we're like, I think we got
1: something here. And this is an important part of the story because this really is where you see he had a career. He he could have stayed at EA and he could have Mm -hmm. done just fine. But because he was passionate about other projects, he took a risk, started this small studio, and eventually we got No Man's Sky. So what was the concept and inspiration behind it? The onset of development for No Man's Sky arose from Hello Games co-founder Sean Murray sometime during the development of Joe Danger 2 in 2012, which he compared to a midlife crisis for himself. Murray, a former developer at Criterion Games for the Burnout series, worried the studio would be falling into a rut of producing sequel after sequel, as was the case at Criterion. When Hello Games had problems with an American publisher, Murray realized they had an opportunity to create a completely new title based on a concept he had had since he was a child, when he had aspirations of being an astronaut, envisioning oneself as being the first human to step onto an alien planet. No Man's Sky was an attention-getting concept that the studio had since its inception. Murray described that in bringing on board Dave Ream, the team's creative director, How there are skyscrapers in the world that are well visible but built on standard designs, and then there are small or minimalist architectural designs. Which is the direction that Murray wanted to take the studio. Reem agreed, but insisted that the studio at some point would make the game equivalent to a skyscraper, a game they could develop without any limitations. This proverbial game, quote, Project Skyscraper, was kept in mind as the studio began to expand and acquire the necessary finances to pursue other titles besides Joe Danger.
0: Yeah, so he thought of this more of like almost boutique-esque and kind of expanding out from there. But Reem's like, no, 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 I get what you're saying. You don't want to be like this like Call of Duty type thing. It's just like a monolith. But we can take your idea with this space game and just expand that, you know, that tower, keep growing that skyscraper, you know, without limits. So pretty cool that kind of became this little secret name that they had when this project started. Murray wanted to recreate the feelings of space exploration seen in older procedurally generated games, including the galaxies of Star Control 2, Elite, and Free Space. And he, you know, grew up and really was passionate about Elite and was like, okay, you know what, I'm going to go for something like that. He realized that real exploration meant, quote, seeing something that no one's seen before and for your experience to be unique rather than pre-planned content and puzzles. His concept for No Man's Sky was also influenced by the simplicity and elegance of Journey's game design. So as we had said, it's just more about exploring and feeling the vibe, feeling the music, feeling the scenery. You know, that's really where that influence started. Murray's tone for the game was influenced by science fiction works of the 1970s and 1980s. He attributes ideas from the big three science fiction authors— Isaac Asimov, Arthur C. Clarke, and Robert Heinlein, whose story he considered fantastical, is vibrant, exciting, and the unexplored. Murray also considered Frank Herbert's Dune influential, as it quote paints this picture of a world that's so believable. Another avenue of influence was the state of current science fiction media, which Murray compared to similar commentary from Neal Stephenson on how most mainstream works focus on a dystopian story. For Murray, want a No Man's Sky to be much more optimistic and uplifting and this almost utopian planets. You know, you want this space travel to be there. You want these just beautiful environments. And there are some, you know, stinky ones and some fiery ones, things like that. But it, overall, it's that just love of space and expanse.
1: Murray was also inspired by the cover art paintings on these science fiction works from the period, which typically were done by freelance artists and bore little connection to the story within but made for visually alluring scenes. Duncan credits much of No Man's Sky's art influence from the work of Chris Foss, who drew covers for many science fiction books and magazines and had a significant influence in science fiction, film, and video games. Duncan noted that he created this kind of art when everyone else was creating black star fields, gray, dull, monolithic spacecrafts. Other art influences included John Harris, another book and video game cover artist. John Gerrode, a.k.a. Mobius, a science fiction and fantasy cartoonist and one of my personal favorite artists in the comic realm, Mm -hmm. and Ralph McQuarrie, a concept artist for several major Hollywood films. Duncan also cited the films of Ray Harryhausen as an influence in terms of the exploration of the unknown. Murray noted the iconic binary sunset shot from the original Star Wars film, which featured two suns rising on the planet Tatooine as the quote, perfect alien image that captured the nature of science fiction. So, I mean, to really summarize that, they did a lot of research and had a lot of influence from, you know,
0: all these major authors that and and, and film designers and and comic book artists of the 70s and 80s, kind of creeping a little bit into the 90s, that Really inspired what they wanted, kind of those grandiose feels, and and we I think we have lost a lot of that in in modern film. I mean, look at Alien compared to any of the modern ones; it's so much more of the shoot, 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 bang, 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 kill in the new ones, whereas an older one was so much more set design and and more the suspense of it and just the idea of space travel. So
1: it's it's really cool that they could bring that to life. Absolutely, I think a really great comparison is just the first few minutes of. I believe it's the second Star Trek movie. They're on an alien planet. It's very bright and vibrant, but the rest of the movie is not that way. It might even be the third Star Trek movie that they just redid, but they've definitely gone away from these very exotic looks and just kind of went toward more of this like darker tone.
0: Yeah, and took it on this, this, this odd, almost the chrome era of these just rock planets, metal planets. Like, that's just all there is everywhere for some reason, and it's always just desolate. There's nothing there, there's nothing beautiful, or if it is, it's all there to kill you. Like, there's nothing that you can really actually enjoy
1: from it. Yeah, the Marvel planets. With the success of Joe Danger and its sequels, Murray was able to spend a few days each week for about a year to develop the core engine of No Man's Sky in secret from the rest of the team. Once the engine was completed, Murray brought in a small four person team to work on the game directly, while Joe Danger 2 was being developed by the rest of the company. They worked in a spare room, lining the walls with science fiction imagery to help inspire them. Their work was kept in secrecy from the rest of the development team, leading to some tension within the offices. Though Murray had done this specifically after seeing how small exploratory groups did not work well at Criterion Games. Further, Murray was concerned about describing the game too much, and feared that even teasing about the title would lead to misconceptions about the scope and nature of the game. Ultimately, Murray was encouraged by Jeff Keeley to premiere the title at the 2013 VGX Awards, and in preparation, created the short teaser which they shared with the rest of the studio days before the awards show. As development continued, more of the team was brought on board to help complete the game, with the final team being composed of 13 members. This VGX teaser brought much attention to the title from the gaming
0: press. Duncan noted that following the reveal, he found it, quote, incredible how many developers came up to us afterwards, and they were all saying that this is a game I always wanted to be making, or I started working on a game like this. Now, unfortunately, but fortunately, a flood wiped out most of their Guildford office and equipment on Christmas Eve 2013. But... They were able to recover the work they had done already and resumed development shortly thereafter. Murray later acknowledged that he had been tempted to cancel No Man's Sky at this point. But the flooding helped resolidify the Hello Games team. As prior to the flood, the team was still split between those working on No Man's Sky and those continuing the Joe Danger series. Everyone in the company came together to help rebuild their office and computer equipment, giving new vigor to the project. So... Again, a, a an odd blessing in disguise of kind of like, especially Christmas Eve. I mean, come on. Having to go in and deal with like floodwaters, like thinking you lost everything, but that like re-energizing the team, be like, no, the project's still here. Let's work on it.
1: And it had to be hard for the other members of the team not being included in something. I would definitely feel a little bit like I'm on the outside looking in. If you mm-hmm. see one of the main guys of this company go and pick hand pick this team to make his special passion project game, you would feel a little frustrated I imagine, so sure. Just prior to the VGX showing, Murray had shown the title to various publishers, and Sony, particularly Shahid Ahmad, Sony's head of independent games development in Europe, expressed strong interest in having the title for the PlayStation 4. Murray stated that although Sony offered to provide financial support, he and Hello Games only wanted Sony's commitment to help market the game, including having the game formally introduced at Sony's main media event during the upcoming Electronic Entertainment Expo 2014, aka E3. Until that point, no independently developed game has been demonstrated during these center stage events. Sony's UK marketing director, Fergal Gara, has stated that Sony is fully committed to supporting the title, treating the game as if it were from one of their first party developers and considering a potential retail release of the game. Hello Games prepared a six planet demonstration that would be used for the E3 event and subsequently used to showcase the game for the media, while the full version, nearly always in a constant state of flux due to the procedural generation approach, was being developed. The game was announced at E3 2014 with plans for a timed exclusive release on the PlayStation 4. It would have later been brought to Microsoft Windows. However, speaking to the media at E3 2015, Murray stated that they now plan to release the title simultaneously for both platforms, though did not specify a release date. Murray stated that unlike more traditional games where completion of the fixed number of levels and other assets can be treated as an assembly line and schedules projected from that, the interconnectivity of all the various systems within No Man's Sky requires them all to be working together to make the game successful and would only feel comfortable on assigning a release date once that is completed.
0: So very interesting kind of timeline of it, and it makes sense, you know, Mario, you got levels set up, you build the levels out, you know what's going to kind of happen, you know what you got to build out. In this, maybe it's making planets in a lot of them, maybe it's not. We're trying to figure out how that engine is even going to work with this. Now, since it's reveal, Hello Games have shown the game to numerous members of the press and video game journalists. Many of these demonstrations have provided possible ideas for gameplay additions as feedback, such as adding land vehicles to explore planets or allowing players to construct buildings on planets. However, Hello Games have opted to avoid such feature creep, with Murray stating that they wanted to be able to deliver on the large, grand vision they had, and to add more features would have required a larger team and more funding, something they did not want to do. Murray specifically wanted to avoid base building initially, as this would discourage players from exploring the rest of the universe. Understandable, you know, you want them to keep kind of hopping, figure the stuff out, explore a little bit, but continue on their journey. Now let's really talk about the main core of this game and what makes it work, and it's that custom-built game engine. Most of the universe in No Man's Sky is procedurally generated, including solar systems, planets, weather systems, flora and fauna on these planets, the behavior of these creatures, and artificial structures like buildings and spacecraft. The generation system is based primarily on providing a single seed number to their, quote, deterministic engine which would create all the features of the universe exactly the same way every time this process is run, with the same seed using the repeatability of pseudo-random number generators. Now again, this paragraph for all of you at home is dense, and I will summarize at the end to give you a better idea of this without all the math terms. One generator is used to create the universe, plotting the position of the stars and their stellar classification, using the phone number of one of the Hello Games developers as the founding seed. Pseudo-random numbers generated from the position of each star are used to define the planetary system the star has, the planet's position is used as a seed to define the planetary features, and so on. This approach, used in early days in computer games to avoid high memory or disk use, avoided the need to craft every planet and store this information on a server. This also ensured that players can always revisit the same planets and share that planet with other players who would find the same features. The Planet Terrain Generator Code, for example, is only 1,400 lines of code. As described by Murray, the code was tweaked as to make sure that planets generated visually interesting but navigable terrain, as some early bids would produce wildly stunning planets that were impossible to traverse, while other fixes made planets look flat and dull. Hello Games had originally planned to use a 32-bit seed number, which would have generated around 4.3 billion planets, but with some goading, some fans were like, hey, I don't think you'd do more. They decided to use a 64-bit number to demonstrate the scalability of their game. And particularly in response to those online forum comments that doubted Hello Games could deliver a game of that size. So, so they looked at it as a challenge. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'll just double it up. <laughs> so all of that paragraph in layman's terms, they used a seed to generate everything. And then these basically pseudo-random, so they're kind of random but faked for what they need to be to make sure it works. Mm -hmm. It would do it for a star system. Within that star system, it would have its own to make those planets, and those planets would have one as well to generate. And we'll talk a little bit more about if it's closer to a sun, it's probably going to have life. If it's further from a sun or a star, it's probably more of a barren or cold planet or uninhabited planet. And that's how these seeds work. So it wasn't always going to be insanely random and have like, oh, that's a triangle planet. It all had these ideas to generate with it so that's why when you do play no man's sky especially even creatures they're kind of the similar to other ones but they're generated in their own way on that particular planet in that
1: star system so it's got like an, an rng element to it but within certain parameters right exactly so that rng applies to each
0: subset so it has one main seed which created the entire universe all the universes And then each subset creates their own seed in between that. And that's how that 64-bit number generator allows for, you know, 64 digits by six, you know, put that to the power of 64 digits, get you that, you know, quintillion.
1: Now I'm just sitting here wondering if I'm just part of some pseudo-random number generator. Who knows? Who knows? It's too heavy. The deterministic approach also allows Hello Games to optimize the rendering of the game as what is visible to the player can be determined directly through these generation algorithms. Planets are rendered using voxels with procedurally generated textures, while flora, fauna, and other surface features use polygon-based rendering to maintain a target 30 frames per second, along with middleware like the Havoc physics engine for animation and other dynamic features. The -the on-the-fly construction of a world did create some difficulty with features like rivers, which in most virtual environments are built by using a physics engine to track the flow of water down a slope. Murray and his team developed a brute force solution to include rivers and similar features without having to render out a large enough section of landscape to perform the same calculation. One of the more challenging feats was to create random terrain on spherical planets in a reproducible manner, allowing a player to leave and return to the planet after visiting others as part of the need to give the player a sense of scale. Initial efforts used a flat map while the player was on the planet, and then as they left the planet, making a snapshot of it to wrap around the planet's sphere to create the illusion they had left the spherical map. But this led to problems with overlap at the edges of the map and terrain generation problems. The team then looked at the problem of map projections that had already been solved by cartographers. With no suitable flat projection, Hello Games took the more challenging step of actually simulating planets in three dimensions, building each planet as a cube, and then using various mathematical tricks to cast the cube's projection onto a sphere. Additional terrain features like cliffs and caves were made by generating positive and negative spaces within the cube's mapping and incorporating those into the spherical transformation. Again, to break that down. Simplify it for me. I feel like a dum dumb. Okay, so
0: originally used cubes, because cubes are pretty easy to build on. They're all flat surfaces. But obviously, if you're using a wrap, you know, like if you're like to like take a take, you know, a wrap for your car, or you're wrapping around a present. You know how like your paper always meets that line? Mm-hmm. They needed to get rid of that because you'd fly around the planet and be like, that's a weird seam in the planet. So they had to figure out a different way to generate it around it so you're not seeing that seam while you're still on this somewhat boxy planet before you leave. And you'll notice a little bit about that. Whenever you enter or leave a planet, there's a slight stutter when you leave, and that's basically generating the opposite, either generating the planet's surface for you or generating the just planet that you see before you enter into that planet. Uh, So again, little tricks that they had to write up and figure this out, so they didn't have to load quintillion of planets. (laughs) You know, they didn't have to load all (laughs) these things at once. It loaded in these kind of microcosms of sphere so think of this always as like when you enter a planet you enter the door of it and it loads that level for you uh the development team built the planetary feature generation system atop this where they would first hand create core structures and the art associated with those such as basic skeleton and skin for a creature and then allow the algorithm to make randomized changes to that as to make a wide variety of creatures mimicking the diversity of species resulting from evolution on earth They made sure the elements of this generation process reflected the setting. Creatures and plants inhabiting a planet that contained blue colored minerals would be tinted blue. The generation system used equations and algorithms previously developed by biologists and physicists that can mimic a vast array of natural forms and shapes. For example, the engine uses L systems, fractal equations developed by Astrid Lindenmayer in 1968 that can create structures that resemble many algae and plant life forms. This is coupled with engines like Speedtree to create additional variety in flora. So using these different algorithms that they built or that they borrowed upon allows for these random things to generate, again, in a very, very, very microcosm like they did the universe, in different plants and animals. Other generation schemes were made through random selection in a deterministic fashion followed by tuning the creatures to a realistic result. Creatures were often generated by mixing and matching random parts from a library and then adjusting the underlying skeleton so that the creature appeared realistic. A creature with a tiny body could not support a giant head, for example. To create behavior for the creatures generated by the procedural generation system, the system tags objects that it creates and then assigns creatures various affinity levels based on these tags. Creatures are then driven to find objects they like, and avoid those they dislike, and allows the artificial intelligence aspects of creatures to communicate directly to coordinate their respective movements. Duncan describes this as generating complex patterns on relatively simple rules that create surprising results. He describes being surprised when, after hunting avian creatures over a body of water, to have one of the kills eaten by the sudden appearance of a shark-like creature. So I know this is a lot to handle for, for everyone and me included. When I was reading this, and I know Derek is just sitting there, I'm just taking it all in. I'm soaking <laughs> it all in. So this is basically saying they use this algorithm they built to go through a library. Very similar how you'd build a custom Robo, or very similar how you'd build like your Legos out. Ah, there we go. And it puts those parts together, but it makes sure like you can't have tiny body, giant head like Goldeneye. You you gotta have it to where it fits that species and makes sense within a realistic world and then builds those behaviors. If you want to think of this in Pokemon sense, of the different like traits they could have, whether it's like bashful or, 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 you know, anything like that that affects their their traits or attributes, this will affect if they're prey, if they're hunters, you know, if they swim, if they hunt after certain things. So it, it all affects those things and what they eat and what they can do. We see this change even more later when we get the update for companions, when you can actually have creatures follow you and have them do tasks for you. So that's added on top of that generation that we get within this
1: entire engine. And I think setting the parameters for this is so important because obviously space, sci-fi, there's so much room to just make things up and make things interesting. And obviously No Man's Sky had a lot of good opportunity to do that. But if it's not somewhat rooted in reality, it can be hard to connect to. So I think that... Them looking at Earth and looking at how that exists was really important to set those parameters and make sure that the creatures that are popping out, it's not like a giraffe's head on a, you know, a Doberman's body or something.
0: Yeah, it's definitely there. Definitely, you needed it. Otherwise, one, if you just had a library of animals, they'd all be found immediately by everyone. Right. So to have this procedural generation of it, tweaks everything a little bit, might add wings to this one, might have shorter legs, might have a bigger body. Some are very similar
1: that you see, but they all evolve differently. That being said, some facets of realism have been conceded in favor of promoting better gameplay. The planetary generator system does not generate any gas giants, as Murray wants every planet in the game to be explorable. Unlike most planets containing an atmosphere where the atmosphere is visibly more dense closest to the surface... Planetary atmospheres in No Man's Sky are reversed to provide a more dramatic transition when a player is taking off or landing on a planet. Other elements of their procedural generation system were made to break the realism that was previously built into the engine, as to have more alien looking planets and features be potential outcomes of the system, such as introducing chemical elements that would enable green tinted atmospheres and allowing moons to orbit much closer than the laws of gravity would allow to create impressive backdrops on planets, similar to Tatooine. Exactly. To assure that the procedural generation worked well, the development team created the in-game equivalent of automated probes to visit the various planets and take images to review. This allowed for some tweaks to be made by human developers. The total code size for the entire game was around 600,000 lines of code by February 2016. Wow. The entire game takes up only six gigabytes on a Blu-ray disc, the bulk being audio files also wow. It's, it's insane. Now that has
0: expanded with all these expansions. I just did a download last night to double check it. I think it's like 11.25 or something, at least on Xbox Game Pass. Still. So still amazingly like condensed for a game of this size and portion. And it just it brings so much more into it. Now. As we had said, there was some controversy you know, leading up to launch and post-launch. Two weeks before the official release, a Reddit user was able to purchase a leaked copy of the game for the PlayStation 4 from eBay for roughly $1,250, and started posting various videos of their experiences in the game. Other users also claimed to have leaked copies and began sharing their own gameplay videos. Some of these reports included negative elements about the game, including frequent crashes and a much shorter time to, quote, complete the game by reaching the center of the virtual galaxy than Hello Games had claimed, leading many fans to express concern and frustration that the game might not be as good as they anticipated. In response, Murray asked fans waiting for the game to avoid these spoilers, stating, quote, we've spent years filling No Man's Sky with surprises. You spent years waiting please don't spoil it for yourself. Some retailers did break the street date as several players, including journalists at Kotaku and Polygon, streamed their starting playthroughs of the game starting from August 5th, 2016. Polygon noted that Sony had not issued any review embargoes for the game at this point, which would mean basically a lot of reporters and journalists get a game early, but usually they say you can't put a review out until X date leading up to it, but Sony didn't do any of that. Prior to official release, Sony requested sites to take down videos from early copies, citing that due to the nature of the game, they considered that Hello Games' vision of the game would only be met once a day one patch was made available at release. Some of these video takedowns had accidentally included users discussing the game, but without using
1: these pre-release footage videos, a situation that Murray and Sony worked to resolve. Those Redditors, those internet (laughs) sleuths. But honestly, I'm glad at this point that they did do that, because like we said, there were a lot of flaws with this game at its its release. This is a redemption story. The day one patch, which Hello Games had been working on since the game was ready for production in July, altered several aspects of how the procedurally generated universe was created, such that existing saves from previous copies would no longer work. This patch also removed an exploit that was observed by pre-release players that allowed them to complete the game much faster than anticipated. Commentators noted that the patch would substantially change the aspects of the game previously critiqued by aforementioned early players and believe some of the changes were made specifically to address these concerns. A concern was raised by the fan community when Open Critic, a review aggregator platform, stated that there were going to be no review copies of the game prior to the public release and a review embargo that would end on the date of release. The lack of review copies is a general sign within the industry that there are concerns by the developers or publishers that a game may not live up to expectations and thus indicates that they may want to minimize any impact that reviews may have prior to release. However, both OpenCritic and Sony later affirmed there would be pre release review copies, and that they were waiting on a pre-release patch before sending these out to journalists. Eurogamer noted that they had expected to have review copies by August 5th, but these were pushed until August 8th so as to get the Day 1 patch in place a situation they attributed to the certification process required by Sony for any games on their service. Because of the late arrival of the review copies and the size of the game, critics presented their reviews as, quote, in progress over several days, omitting a final review score until they had completed enough of the game to their satisfaction. Now, I will say, this probably does not bode well for the review process at all. No, I mean, you already had leaks come out, you already had a lot of people
0: playing it early because of the broken street dates for some stuff, and I can review copies, so I mean, it was kind of a
1: mess just to begin with, and this is just the start. At launch, a number of software bugs affected both the PlayStation 4 and Windows versions. A game-breaking bug occurred with an in-game pre-order bonus spaceship players could collect that would potentially strand them on a planet— And a resource duplication exploit could significantly reduce the time needed to reach the game's endings. The Windows version also garnered several reports of poor graphics rendering, frame rates, and the inability to even start the game. Within a day, Hello Games had identified several of the common issues and issued patches while working to provide better technical support and resolve other issues. Murray stated that their initial patches for both systems would be focused on customer support before moving on to adding in new features. So yeah, so it took them a bit to start to get the idea rolling or get some patches rolling.
0: It was a rough launch. And we're going to see that just kind of unfortunately continue. But first, let's jump over to marketing. Let's see how it started. And we've talked about this a little bit, but let's summarize it. No Man's Sky was first revealed at the VGX Awards in December 2013 and subsequently gained significant attention from the gaming press. Sony presented the game at their media event during E3 2014 And as we had said until that point, no independent games were there. So this is a first. And Sony, you know, pretty much believing in them. Rumors circulated in the lead up to the 2015 Paris Games Week in October of 2015 that No Man's Sky would be released alongside Sony's press conference. But Murray and Sony denied those rumors and basically said that we don't even see it until maybe 2016 for the PS4. The game's scheduled release during the week of June 21st, 2016 was announced in March along with the onset of pre-orders for both PlayStation 4 and Windows versions. Hello Games also announced that the PlayStation 4 version would be available in both a standard and limited edition retail release, published by Sony, alongside the digital version. About a month before this planned release, Sony and Hello Games announced that they would delay the game until August 2016, and Murray opting to use the few extra weeks as, quote, some key moments needed to extra polish and bring them up to our standards. Hello Games opted not to present at E3 2016, electing to devote more time to polishing the game, with Murray noting that due to the structure of the game, "quote we get one shot to make this game, and we can't mess it up. The game had gone gold or you know, finally ready for publish on July 7th, 2016, and was officially released on August 9th, 2016, two weeks before release. The worldwide Windows version release was pushed out a few days to August 12th, 2016. Murray stated through Twitter that they felt the best experience for players would be a simultaneous worldwide release on the Windows platform, something they could not control with the retail aspects that were associated with the regional PlayStation 4 market, and thus opted to hold back the Windows release to make this possible. They also used the few extra days to finish additional technical features that they wanted to include in the Windows launch, such as multiple monitor widescreen Support.
1: The New Yorker featured No Man's Sky in their 2015 New Yorker Festival as part of their inaugural Tech at Fest event, highlighting topics on the intersection of culture and technology. On October 2, 2015, Murray made an appearance and gave a demonstration of the game on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. In the weeks leading up to the game's release, Sony released a set of four videos, each focused on the principal activities of the game exploring fighting trading and surviving sony interactive entertainment europe also released a television advertisement for the game featuring comedian bill bailey so obviously a very good very um, fresh marketing campaign Mm -hmm. where this game is getting into festivals getting into e3 and and being a major player at e3 and so the amount of attention on this game is massive it it definitely added a lot to it, and, and we're, we're seeing it build. We're seeing the hype build, and it's starting to bubble. Let's get into the gameplay and what it actually became. The player takes the role of a specimen of alien humanoid planetary explorer known in-game as the Traveler in an uncharted universe. They start on a random planet near a crashed spacecraft at the edge of the galaxy and are equipped with a survival exosuit with a jetpack and a multi-tool that can be used to scan, mine, and collect resources, as well as to attack or defend oneself from creatures and hostile forces. The player can collect, repair, and refuel the craft, allowing them to travel about the planet, between other planets, and space stations in the local planetary system, engage in space combat with alien factions, or make hyperspace jumps to other star systems. While the game is open-ended, the player may follow the guidance of the entity known as the Atlas to head towards the center of the galaxy. The defining feature of No Man's Sky is that nearly all parts of the galaxy, including stars, planets, flora, and fauna on these planets and sentient alien encounters, are created through procedural generation using deterministic algorithms and random number generators from a single seed number. This 64-bit value leads to there being over 18 quintillion planets to explore within the game. Very little data is stored on the game's servers, as all elements of the game are created through deterministic calculations when the player is near them, assuring that other players will see the same elements as another player by traveling to the same location in the galaxy. Through exploration, the player is credited with units, the in-game currency. By observing not-yet-seen planets, alien bases, flora and fauna in their travels, If the player is first to discover one of these, they can earn additional units by uploading this information to the Atlas, as well as having their name credited with the discovery to be seen by other players through the game's servers. Players also have the opportunity to rename these features at this point, within limits set by a content filter.
0: The player must assure the survival of the traveler, as many planets have dangerous atmospheres such as extreme temperatures, toxic gases, and dangerous storms. Though the player can seek shelter at alien bases or caves, these environments will wear away at the exosuit, and so you have to get resources to revitalize and add to it. By collecting blueprints, the player can use resources to craft upgrades to their exosuit, multi-tool, and spacecraft to make survival easier, with several of these upgrades working in synergistic manners to improve the survivability and capabilities of the traveler, such as like jump climbs... A higher resistance to, let's say, toxic or cold or hot adds that all in there. Each star system has a space station where the traveler can trade resources, multi-tools, and ships, but also interact with one or more aliens from three different races that populate the galaxy. Each alien race has their own language, presented as a word-for-word substitution, which initially will be nonsense to the player. By frequent communications with the race, as well as finding monoliths scattered on planets that act as Rosetta Stones, the players can better understand these languages and start to like get these sentences. Because as, as you talk to people, it's all just like random letters or symbols. But you start learning word by word by word. It's really fun. That's actually one of the things I love with No Man's Sky is starting to learn the languages and get these built. That's how you can start to establish allies. That's how you can start to establish trade routes. Because if you say the wrong thing Sometimes you'll lose reputation with that alien race, and they won't like you that much. So it kind of boils down really to that, either allowing more trade or not so much. Interesting. No Man's Sky is primarily designed as a single-player game. Though, discoveries can be shared to all players via the Steam Workshop, and friends can track others through Games Galactic Map. Murray stated that one might spend about 40 hours of game time to reach the center of the galaxy if they do not perform any side quests but also fully anticipates that people will just figure out what they want to do. Do you want to catalog and do what Alex does? Just go around the planets and see what cool animals they have? <laughs> or do you want to do space battles? Do you want to get to the center and like beat the story? What is the way you want to play? And so it's allowed that,
1: especially with the numerous updates. It definitely feels like a game where they wanted things to be as open-ended for the player as possible, which is one of the things that seems the most appealing to me about No Man's Sky. So. Within the gameplay, there is a little bit of a story, yeah? There is, yeah. Yeah, just, yeah, a little story. The Traveler, or the player character, wakes up on a remote planet with amnesia and must locate their crashed starship. When they arrive, they are guided by their starship's computer, directing the character to make the necessary repairs to it, collecting the resources, as we said, exploring the planet, basically getting a feel for the planet's. In route, they encounter individual members of three alien species, the Gek, the Korvax, and the Viking. During their voyage, the traveler is compelled by an unknown force to reach the center of the galaxy. Along the way to the center, they are alerted to a presence of a space anomaly in a nearby system. Traveling there, they find a special space station where many strange aliens reside. Two of the aliens, Priest Enidinata and Specialist Polo, have knowledge beyond what other aliens in the galaxy appear to possess, including being able to speak without translation to the Traveler. They tell of a strange being found at the center of the galaxy, and they're able to guide the Traveler towards meeting it by directing them to a nearby black hole that can quickly take the Traveler closer to the center of the galaxy. As their journey continues, the
0: Traveler receives a message from an alien entity known as Artemis, who tells them, like they, the player, are a traveler and wish to meet. So they're basically saying, I'm a traveler, you're a traveler, let's get together. So you start to go to these different worlds trying to figure out this messaging relay. Like you're trying to track Artemis and it takes you to like some barren worlds, some other things and these gateways eventually. And this is where you learn of another traveler named Apollo. The traveler contacts Apollo telling them about Artemis' predicament, that they're just stuck, I don't know where they are the player is told to uncover the connection between the portals and the sentinels, the robotic beings protecting each planet. After a skirmish with the sentinels, the traveler passes through a portal and is taken aboard a large, unknown vessel in space, where it comes face-to-face with the cosmic being Nada told them about, named the Atlas. The traveler is then sent to an unknown planet where they find the grave of Artemis, revealing Artemis has been dead the entire time. While trying to contact Apollo, they accidentally contact a new entity, Null. Null tells the Traveler that Artemis can be saved through the use of a Mind Arc. After constructing the Mind Arc, the Traveler must choose whether to upload Artemis' soul into the machine aboard the Anomaly or to let them die. Regardless of the choice, they are directed by a distress beacon to another portal, where they find themselves aboard another Atlas interface. They learn that the Atlas is dying and must warn the other Travelers in the galaxy... But are unable to contact them.
1: And null is probably just another coding error, right? (laughs) (laughs) They just kept it like (laughs) that. No, I'm just kidding. That is not a fact. The traveler becomes aware that they, like Nada and Polo, are different from the other sentient beings in the galaxy, having some sense of the universe's construction and nature. It is revealed that the galaxy itself exists as a computer simulation managed by the Atlas. And the Travelers, or the Fourth Race, are entities that were created by the Atlas to explore the simulation. It is also revealed how Nada and Polo met, and how they are errors that have become self-aware of being in a simulation and isolated themselves in the anomaly to help others. See, Derek, you, you say you're in a simulation. <sighs> Look at what we're in right here. I'm freaking out right now. <laughs> The Traveler investigates more interfaces to find themselves once again in direct communication with the Atlas. The Atlas informs them it does not want to die. In order to save itself, it directs the Traveler to continue to explore and collect information, all while moving towards the center where the entity appears to be. The Atlas judges the Traveler's progress and grants it the blueprint for a different Atlas seed if it deems the Traveler worthy. The traveler must continue on its journey, continuing to gain help from Nada and Polo and Atlas seeds from other interfaces. Ultimately, the traveler
0: reaches the galaxy center, finding yet another Atlas interface. The traveler must choose to either restart the simulation, saving the Atlas, or reject the offer. If they choose to reject the Atlas's offer, the main storyline ends and the traveler is allowed to explore the galaxy as they wish. Otherwise, if they choose to restart the simulation, The Traveler presents the interface with the Atlas Seeds they have obtained. The Atlas resets, upon which it creates a new galaxy, as well as creating another new Traveler, and entity, to restart the exploration. But it is revealed that this has happened many times before, each time shortening the life of the Atlas. The Atlas tries to see into the future, past its death, but sees nothing, besides the hand of its creator on its glass casing. The Traveler is teleported to the new galaxy, Effectively restarting the game. They can use the space anomalies interstellar terminus to travel to the previous galaxy if you've built a base there. So the whole simulation is restarted if you want to start again and basically resets you and resets everything, kind of almost almost a new game plus, but in such a cool sci-fi term. Like you restart the simulation you're in to just be happening again and again. And, and it's been hinted in the game, building up to this point, that you kind of know what's going on. You feel like you've been here before and everyone's telling you that you've been here before and you're like I mm,
1: I don't think so I'm new so that's kind of the whole key part of it. And what I like about this too is that let's say you're just you play as a good guy in video games you want to save the atlas. Yeah, everything restarts sure, but the ability to go back and travel as long as you've built a base. I think that's yep. important too cuz not everyone wants to redo all that stuff again. <laughs> I feel like that's an important piece of the puzzle. Especially if you didn't really know this is going to happen. You built a huge base
0: up. You love the planets you're in. You love the system. It allows you to be able to travel between that. And I love... And that's also what they use with multiplayer, is they have those gates available to travel to your friend's galaxies. Even if you're light years away, you can use those because each system will have one of these atlas gates somewhere nearby. So you're within, you know, A timely manner to catch up with your friends, basically.
1: So there was a little bit more controversy here. Since its reveal at the 2013 VGX show and over the course of its development, the potential of No Man's Sky had been widely promoted across the video game industry and created a great deal of hype. Matt Kamen of Wired UK called No Man's Sky perhaps one of, if not the, most hyped indie titles in the history of gaming. Much of the attention has been drawn to the massive scope realized by the procedural generation of the game and the relatively small size of the Hello Games team behind it. No Man's Sky was seen as a potential industry-changing title, challenging the status quo of AAA game development, which, according to Time's Matt Peckham, had become, quote, rich and complacent. No Man's Sky has been considered by Nathan Lawrence of IGN as a mainstream-friendly space flight simulator game, providing controls that were, quote, simple to learn and fascinating to plumb, compared to Elite, Dangerous, and Star Citizen. Now, during development, the concepts behind No Man's Sky, you know,
0: allowing for a grail-like feedback loop around the exploration of near-infinite space, according to Peckham, created a great amount of anticipation for the game from gamers, as such lofty goals were often seen as a dare for them to challenge. You know, like, infinite planets. Oh, yeah? We'll see about that. (laughs) Many commentators compared No Man's Sky to 2008's Spore by Maxis, which had promised similar ambitions to use procedural generation to construct new creatures and worlds. However, by release, the extent of the use of procedural generation was scaled back during the course of production and the resulting game was not as well received as anticipated. Murray was aware that some critics were applying caution to their views of No Man's Sky due to their previous experiences with Spore. Gamasutra's Chris Graft commented that many players and journalists had both high expectations for the game as well as wide expectations, with some believing that it would be among other aspects the quote best space sim, the best multiplayer action shooter and The best pure exploration game. So just basically dominating the entire market. Yeah. Ars Technica's Kyle Orland found that, unlike the developers of Spore or Fable, games that promised saturated PR campaigns with revolutionary and industry-changing gameplay features, which failed to appear in final releases, Hello Games' statement about No Man's Sky were, quote, relatively restrained and realistic about what they were promising. Orland surmises that many players and journalists layered their own expectations onto the game's gaps from what Hello Games actually claimed. Vlambeer's founder, Rami Ishmael, considered the strength of the marketing campaign by Hello Games and Sony to generate interest in the game, calling the pitch using the concept of magnitudes and scale rather than absolutes as, quote, a little masterclass in explaining an abstract concept to the largest possible audience. Polygod's Ben Kuchera agreed on this point, but considered that the marketing may have gotten away from Sony and Hello Games since players did not have a concrete understanding of what the game's limitations were going to be. Murray himself was aware of the, quote, unrealistic, intangible level of excitement that fans had of the game, and given that they had been waiting three years to play it, would be expecting it to be perfect. He countered that he felt that Hello Games tried to be reasonably open and honest about what the game is all throughout the marketing cycle, to set those expectations. On the day before the official release, Murray cautioned players that No Man's Sky may not have been, quote, the game you imagined from those trailers, and instead that the title was meant as a, quote, very, very chill game, giving players a universe-sized sandbox that makes you feel as if you stepped into a sci-fi book cover. Murray believed the game would have been a super divisive response from players due to some of those expectations. So trying to qualm those immediately, being like, listen, guys, it's just
1: a chill game to be in. You're just going to hang out, do some stuff. A little late, Murray. Just a little late. And, man, Fable. What an epic, epic, over-promised game that was. I love Fable. But this definitely... Just even talking about this before we recorded this episode, immediately, Fable came to mind, mm-hmm. where it was just very specific... Very influential, very like big marketing campaign that ultimately, yeah, it got everyone really hyped. But with that hype, you set just a great high expectation level. It's a double edged sword. It it is because you you we're gonna talk about it in a second. You build that cult.
0: It's a cult of personality for your game that is like this is the game for me. This is gonna be my community. I love it or I'm going to absolutely hate it and make sure it burns. And unfortunately, that is a lot of gaming aspects out there, as we've seen with Last of Us, we've seen with other communities. It becomes
1: toxic. It can be loved or hated. No Man's Sky developed a dedicated fan base before its release, with many congregating in a subreddit to track and share information published about the game. Sam Zuki, writing for Kill Screen, proposed that the players anxiously awaiting No Man's Sky was a kind of religion putting faith in Hello Games to be able to deliver an experience that has otherwise never been offered by video games before, the ability to explore a near-infinite universe. Following the news of the game's delay from June to August 2016, Murray, along with Kotaku writer Jason Schreier, who first reported on the rumor of the delay, received a number of death threats in response, which Murray publicly responded to in good humor. The situation was seen by other journalists as a growing issue between the pre release hype created by marketing for video games and the excited nature of the fans of these games even before their release. New Statesman's Phil Hardup considered that when marketing for a game drives a need for any type of news by those anxious to play the game, disappointing news such as delays could readily lead to online fans reacting in a paranoid manner against marketing expectations. Phil Owen, Writing for the rap blames such issues on the video game marketers as the field had become less about selling a game and more about creating a cult-like following for the game and, quote, weaponizing fandom. So it is unfortunate. You know, you have a lot of people in the gaming industry, at least people who play
0: the games, who unfortunately do that. You get that hype build around. It's like, hey, guys, this is going to be delayed for a bit. It happens all the time. And unfortunately with the internet and be able to do that, it happens so much more frequently with these death threats and these things that shouldn't happen. I'm not understanding why people do it or why you feel that you're entitled to do these things or or have this game. It's not yours. It's a product that you want to play and purchase. But it's gonna come out when it comes out. And like this is the only field that happens. Like you don't really see that for any other product coming out. It's primarily
1: here. It's definitely a poor reaction to some bad news, and it's unfortunate that it happens. Definitely needs to stop. We all like playing games, but we want the games that we play to be good as well. Absolutely. Paying 60 $70 for games sometimes, or even if you're paying more for collector's editions, you want that game to be good, because at mm-hmm. that point, it's not returnable. Now, in addition to its
0: mixed response from critics players' reaction to the release version of No Man's Sky was generally negative in response to several issues at the game's launch, enhanced by early reactions from those that had played the game before its official release. Users expressed concern with the apparent lack of features and other issues associated with the PlayStation 4 launch, while many players on the Windows version via Steam and GOG.com gave the game negative reviews due to the poor graphics capabilities or inability to launch the game at all. Players were also disappointed at the lack of features that Hello Games and Sony had stated in early announcements and interviews that would not be included in the game. A list initially compiled by members of the No Man's Sky subreddit, consisting of all such features appeared around a week after launch. So to wrap it up, there was a subreddit there was a specific user that had been like, went through every interview that Murray had ever done, quoting like multiplayer shifts. This is that they wanted to do or were doing. And people were mad. By October 2016, the game had one of the worst user-based ratings on Steam, with an aggregate mostly negative average for more than 70,000 users. So that's real low. At the 2017 Game Developers Conference, Murray admitted that they have far underestimated the number of players that would initially get the game. Using estimates from Inside and Far Cry Primal, both released just before No Man's Sky, The studio had expected about 10,000 concurrent players at launch, but in actuality saw over 500,000 players across both PlayStation 4 and Windows with about half coming from the Windows side.
1: So a little bit of an underestimation, just a small (laughs) little counting error there. Yeah, just a, just a little blip, some might say. Just a Fortune 500 level accounting error there. But uh... yeah,
0: yeah, so unfortunately this overwhelmed their expected server capacity and overloaded their support team with bug reports and technical help, leading to the noted problems with communications within the release window. At the same event, Hello Games announced that they had started their own support program known as Hello Labs, which will help fund and support the developers of games using procedural generation or otherwise experimental gameplay. Murray stated they anticipate funding one or two games at a time, and that one title was already part of the program at this time of announcement. And I remember this, it was controversy because of like, hey, we're going to support devs that are making cool stuff. And like, you guys made a bad game. Why are you doing this? And it was a whole (laughs) thing of like, why are you working on that when you should be working on the game? Kind of a mess when it first came out.
1: Maybe beyond the financial support, they were also offering therapy and friendship to these people that were making procedurally generated games because they are like, look, we tried to do this. People have tried to do this before us. We're buds with the Spore guys. Mm-hmm. They're here as well. We all have our own little anonymous group where we get down <coughs> yeah. and talk about our poor experience. And also, man, with the Redditors, the the subreddit controversy... Uh, you know, going back to that, that's such a tough thing when you really build a solid subreddit community mm-hmm. and it's got all this hype. If you don't deliver on that, that website garners so much attention. And even if you just go to the normal homepage, if that specific No Man's Sky subreddit gets enough people motivated behind their disappointment, it's going to be the top of the very first thing that people see when they go to the main page of Reddit. So you might yeah. be not only people who were following that subreddit, but you know, gaming is a default subreddit on, on Reddit. So you might be spilling over into even more people who will definitely get behind that kind of campaign, I guess, to yeah. just really call video game developers out on some of the things that they might push when they shouldn't in marketing so it really is that double-edged sword and it's unfortunate that that happened but i will say that i'm still glad that it did because i really do feel like it drove people to fix this passion project
0: i don't think it did i think murray and hello games they love this this is something they wanted so it's unfortunate what happened and You know, Murray being like, hey, guys, just expectations are here. Let's bring them down just a bit and let's talk again.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. So on that note, one of the more significant features that appeared to be absent from the release version of No Man's Sky was its multiplayer capabilities. Hello Games had stated during development that No Man's Sky would include multiplayer elements, though the implementation would be far from traditional methods as one would see in a massive multiplayer online game, to the point where Murray had told players to not think of No Man's Sky as a multiplayer game. Because of the size of the game's universe, Sean Murray estimated that more than 99.9% of the planets would never be explored by players, and that the chance of meeting other players through chance encounters would be, quote, incredibly slim. Murray had stated in a 2014 interview that No Man's Sky would include a matchmaking system that is similar to that used for Journey when such encounters do occur. Each player would have an open lobby that any players in their in-universe proximity would enter and leave. This approach was envisioned to provide cool moments for players as they encounter each other, but not meant to support gameplay like player versus environment or fully cooperative modes. According to Murray in 2018, Hello Games had worked to try and keep this light multiplayer element in the game through the final part of their development cycle, but found that it was very difficult to include And opted to remove it for the game's release, believing that with the size of the game's universe, only a few players would end up experiencing it. Questions regarding the multiplayer aspects of No Man's Sky were raised a day following the official release on the PS4. Two players attempted to meet at a location in the game's virtual universe after one player recognized the other upon seeing their username attached to a planetary discovery. Despite confirming that they had been at the same spot on the same planet, Outside of the game, through their respective Twitch streams, they couldn't see each other. Furthering, this was the discovery that European copies of the limited edition packaging used a sticker to cover the Peggy online play icon. Journalists noted a number of potential reasons why the player may not have encountered each other. Including the users being on separate instances or server problems reported by Hello Games at launch, though some confirmed that this may have been a feature removed before launch. Hello Games noted that they had far more players than they expected. Obviously, like we said, just a 490k thousand, <laughs> yeah, uh, just a yeah, just a few off, just a little, just a, just a few missing, and they're bringing more people on to help support the game, along with patching the critical issues that happened on the launch day outside of patch notes hello games had effectively
0: gone silent on social media right after the game's release up until the announcement of the foundation update in late november 2016 murray who used the hello games twitter account with some frequency before release had not been visible online for the first two months following the game's release In the announcement on this update hello games admitted to being quiet but having been paying attention to the various criticisms leveled at the game Schreier from Kotaku and Ben Kuchera of Polygon commented that some of the negative player reactions was due to a lack of clarification on these apparently missing features from either Hello Games or Sony in the weeks just after release, with Kuchera further stating that with the silence from either company, quote, the loudest, most negative voices are shouting unopposed and leading to a more negative perception of the game. Kuchera later wrote that many of the issues in the lead-up and follow-up to No Man's Sky's release, whether by choice or happenstance, provide many lessons on the importance of proper public relations. Kuchera specifically pointed to the PR decision to withhold review copies and apparent lack of any PR to manage statements relating to what features would be in the game and which wouldn't be. Kuchera also noted that many people had taken the hype generated by the press only to be disappointed by the final game and that consumers did have ways to evaluate the game following its release before they purchased the title. Sony president Shuhei Yoshida admitted that Hello Games did not have, quote, a great PR strategy for No Man's Sky, in part for lacking a dedicated PR staff to manage expectations, but still support the developers as they continue to patch and update the game. Mr. Sony, sir, Mr. Sony, I believe discussed (laughs) earlier, Sony would be handling all the marketing, which, in my opinion, constitutes PR. Public relations usually deals with the fallout of marketing or clarification of marketing. And
1: you typically have a two-fold experience with it, I guess you would say. Anytime that you're interacting with the public and when you're doing big events like E3 and you are representing Sony, you would think that Sony would say, hey, um, we definitely want to make sure that everything is communicated effectively for Mm -hmm. this game. But instead... It really feels like they kind of pushed them to get some of this marketed a little bit earlier than maybe they should have, get the game out. And it led to a really big downfall. So to just throw them under the bus like this is disappointing. It's very much that toxic relationship of, oh yeah, they should have had a better PR, but we'll still
0: support them. It's so weird that you're not going to like help this out, even though you did it. And again, no idea what the back room conversations were about who handled sure. what and if Sony was literally just going to have a pocketbook for marketing or if
1: they were actually going to help create it so who knows on that end and it's too easy for when you look at the small staff that made this game to just be like well yeah they're small that's why it was a failure so no risk for us goodbye thank you mm-hmm Jesse Signal, writing for the Boston Globe, noted that some of the hype for No Man's Sky may be attributed to game journalists themselves for getting too excited about the game, writing, quote, Had journalists asked certain questions at certain times, perhaps it would have been more difficult for Hello Games to make promises it couldn't deliver on. Murray himself stated in a 2019 interview that prior to the game's release, much of their contact was with journalists who Hello Games believe understood the nature of video game development and thus expected their statements about what No Man's Sky would be tempered to reflect the reality of Hello Games being a small team with limited time. Instead, Murray found that the press took their words for granted and created expectations for players that they could not have met at launch. As a result, Hello Games has since shifted toward communication directly with the community rather than the press and keeps only to patch updates or near-release features, basically to just keep expectations in check. And it's done well. I will say that just, just knowing. But it's it's smart.
0: I mean, you think talking to journalists in your mind, you would say, oh, they'll know not to kind of hype this up. But again, journalism is one part storytelling and understanding the facts. Other part is selling it. So. When you have that out there that's like saying, like, best space game ever, you can explore anywhere, and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not really what
1: we said. What we said was like, well, yes and no. You know, it's that interpretation (laughs) of it. The lack of features in the release version of the game became a point of contention, with many players using the Steam and... GOG.com review pages, along with Metacritic reviews, to give it poor ratings. So there's basically that campaign coming through again. Mm -hmm. We're going to spam the poor ratings so that they hear us. Sean Murray received a great deal of online criticism from players, including accusations of lying. A Reddit user temporarily took down the documented list of removed features after he received messages that congratulated him on, quote, really sticking it to these dirtbag devs which was not his intention in publishing the list, he wanted no part of the anger towards Hello Games. The subreddit forum had become hostile due to a lack of updates from Hello Games or Sony, leading one moderator to delete the subreddit due to the toxicity of the comments, later undoing that action on further review. And I've got to say, I don't really know that I buy the Reddit user saying we didn't really want to stick it there to me there's really no other reason to make that post other yeah. than to stick it to them. So, yeah, maybe he was disappointed and and they really cuz I I can't speak to who they are. But when you make a post like that, what else could your purpose possibly be?
0: Again, if you're going to make it send it to the devs or like like post it and be like these are the things that were promised like in a letter to them or or wherever but to put it on a public forum to reap the karma, which is kind of the, the currency of Reddit, basically, in a way, Sure. to kind of get popular with it, and they'd be like, I didn't mean that. Well, you kind of did, you kind of didn't. But again, as we had stated, this cult of personality that's built around this game, it boiled over, and it boiled over I, hard.
1: I was a longtime Reddit user, but Reddit can be very fickle with things like this, mm-hmm. and especially when, yeah, when they get disappointed with something, it... It can be very, very dangerous like this was. Yeah. In an interview in
0: July 2018, Murray stated that the period following No Man's Sky's release was difficult for him and the studio due to the backlash that included numerous death and bomb threats during that period that forced the studio to be in constant contact with Scotland Yard. Basically the police and kind of the FBI-ishness of UK. Murray stated of that period, quote, I find it really personal, and I don't have any advice for dealing with it. The Hello Games Twitter account had been hacked into in October 2016 and used to post the message, quote, No Man's Sky was a mistake, among other tweets before the company regained control of it, leading to confusion and additional drama within the community. Users sought refunds for the game via both Sony and Valve outside of the normal time allowance for claiming such refunds by their policies citing the numerous bugs within the game and or the lack of features. And while some players claim to have received such refunds, both companies have re-emphasized the refund policies in response to the volume of refund requests. Again, this took a personal turn and a personal turn for the worst. I can't imagine having to deal with something like a death and bomb threat daily. Like I'm coming, you know, won't get into it, but like a lot of those tough ones out there, like. And
1: he's like, I I don't know what to deal with it. I have no, nothing to say. It's it's it was bad. Yeah, to take that level of extremity, uh, it's it's just totally unnecessary. Mm -hmm. That's that's really all that needs to be said. It's it's a video game. Yeah. So now, games journalist Jeff Keeley, who we talked about before, who
0: had been in discussions with Murray and Hello Games throughout the development, had expressed concern to Murray in the year leading up to the release, and according to Keeley in September 2016. He had said he was, quote, internally conflicted about the state of the game near its release, recognizing that many of the features that Murray had been talking about were not going to make it, and compared Murray to Peter Molyneux of Fable fame, who had overpromised on a vision for his games that ultimately fell short. Keeley had expressed to Murray his concern that the $60 price tag was a bit steep for the current state of the game and recommended that they take an early access approach instead. According to Keeley, Murray said he didn't want to be around Keeley anymore, as he was a quote, little too negative about the game and Keeley's assessment of where the team was at. Keeley felt that Murray could not rip off that band-aid and explain exactly what had made it and had to be cut for the game prior to release, and in the end appeared to disrespect his audience. As such, Keeley sympathized with those that felt they were misled by the marketing, Keely rekindled the relationship with Murray since launch and anticipated discussion more of what happened near release with him. So, I don't know. I respect uh, Keeley and his, his gaming journalism for the most part. But if in the research I've done is true, he kind of pushed this to happen and then kind of tried to cut ties as much as possible by saying, not my fault.
1: I had nothing to do with this. You messed up. Yeah. He's on board with promoting what could be the greatest game of all time, the mm-hmm. most grandiose game of all time. But then later on, getting close to the release, being like, "Um, yeah, I might have oversold this game myself. That's problematic within games journalism. Yeah. It does happen within all aspects of journalism. So it is unfortunate to see. Glad they were able to mend it. And ultimately, No Man's Sky is a much better game today. So Sure. In September 2016, the Advertising Standards Authority, or the ASA of the United Kingdom, following on several complaints, began an investigation into the promotion of No Man's Sky. The ASA has authority to require publishers to remove offending advertising materials if they are found in violation of ASA standards. In the No Man's Sky complaints directed at Hello Games and Valve, the ASA specifically evaluated materials used on the Steam store page to promote the game that demonstrate features that do not appear to be a part of the final game, but has also reviewed other official promotional outlets, including the game's official YouTube channel. Several game industry lawyers, speaking to PC Gamer, noted that while the ASA has successfully taken action in previous cases of false advertising, Demonstrating such for a procedurally generated game of No Man's Sky's scope may be difficult since it is impossible to play the entire game to prove something does not exist. So essentially, they took the route of, you may have not seen this yet, but it could happen. Yes,
0: because it's physically and timely impossible to hit all quintillions of planets that there are, plus explore the entire planet, and everything that it has to offer to say that that specific instance cannot happen when in reality there is a plausibility that it could. So it's it's the
1: lawyery term of like maybe, but maybe not. Now, maybe get the mathematician and prove it wrong. Mm-hmm. The lawyers also noted that most of what Murray and other Hello Games members said outside of any official promotional channels, such as interviews or through social media, cannot be taken as part of the game's advertising further limiting the claims that the asa can act on the asa ruled in november 2016 that the steam store page advertising of no man's sky was not in breach of their standards attributing the used footage and screenshots to be a reasonable representation of the average player's experience with a procedurally generated game and dismissed the submitted complaints The essay further ruled that as Valve has no control over what Hello Games included on the store page, that they were not liable for the material either.
0: Yeah, so we see this exact same issue rising in Poland, uh, you know, within a year of CD Projekt Red and Cyberpunk 2077. You know, this kind of false idea of advertising claims and trying to see if there needs to be any admission against it. We even see with Xbox, PlayStation, Steam, all these places that sold the game were a bit more lenient and actually pulled the game. Learning from No Man's Sky, I think in a way, and we'll read about that later, but the idea of like these false claims, bugs, game not working, and as opposed to a procedurally generated
1: game, Cyberpunk is a story game and it'll let you know if there's things in there or not. And Europe in general just has a stricter policy on how games content is handled. For instance, in a lot of these newer sports games, there's all this card pack opening and there's all this lotto stuff within it. They're a lot stricter about how that stuff is advertised and how it's handled than Mm -hmm. things are in the United States. They definitely investigate and take these things more seriously. So in a way, it's refreshing to make sure that the consumer is protected. But at the same time, interesting to see that they recognize that Yes, there are certain elements within this game that people may have expected or over-anticipated. And because they were disappointed that they didn't see these certain specific things, it doesn't necessarily mean that they were lied to. I think that's an interesting conclusion to come to. Mm Mm-hmm, agreeable. So there were some subsequent updates. And on November 25th, 2016, Hello Games announced it was planning on bringing a large update known as the, quote, foundation update to the game, stating that, quote, we've been quiet, but we're listening and focusing on improving the game that our team loves and feels so passionately about. Hello Games had not mentioned a release window, and many journalists were surprised when the update was released just two days later. The update was generally well-received by journalists, and while not fully satisfying all the features that seemed to have been promised for the game, helped to push the game into the right direction in anticipation of future major patches. The update had drawn back some players that had previously turned their back on the game and created a better reception from some players, while others still remained disappointed by the game's initial release problems. The second major update, Pathfinder, was released in March 2017. By the time of the third major update, Atlas Rises, a year after initial release, many felt the game was now much better in approaching what they had expected. Wired's Julie Muncy said that the ability of the updates to No Man's Sky demonstrates the game can be more organic, adding significant new features that can dramatically change the feel of the game. In retrospect, following the patch, journalists generally commended Hello Games for staying quiet about the exact details of the update until just prior to its release to avoid the same situation that the game fell into upon its initial release. Murray himself has avoided commenting directly on any of the updates for No Man's Sky and staying out of the quote hype cycle until they are at the shipping point to not repeat any of the mistakes from the game's launch. The continued free improvements to No Man's Sky has been considered a redemption for Hello Games and the games launched by several outlets.
0: 1,000%. You know, as you had said earlier in the episode, they could have, you know, cut tail and run. They got cash. They made good money. They got a lot of downloads early on. Perfect. 500,000 players right away. Insane. They could have just went quiet. It could have went down as like a terrible game. But the team loved it. Again, going back to that passion project idea. They loved it, and they actually have brought 17 plus, 17 plus, I would say, major updates with some internal ones like a Halloween one, one for mechs, and a couple of other things with it. Not only that, we have another one coming out while we're recording this one with the fifth anniversary and idea of it coming up. So I'm going to go ahead, give some simple synopsis of what these brought and how it's improved the game. As Derek had said, we had the foundation, which was the 1.1 update. And this is actually a quote from Murray himself. It's hard to imagine how we launched so many major updates so close to launch. Foundations launched around 10 weeks after the main game, introducing base building for the first time. Base building is now such an integral part of No Man's Sky, but it felt unexpected at the time. Foundations really became the foundation for how the next few years would take shape. Pathfinder introduced planetary vehicles, base sharing, all these different specializations in permadeath mode. Atlas Rising brought an overhauled central Storyline, brought portals, procedurally generated mission systems, trade imports, system economies, and so much more. Next, which is the 1.5 update, introduced full multiplayer, near unlimited base building, and command of freighter armadas. The Abyss brought aquatic environments with over five times more variety, various creature behaviors, and improved underwater which we should call them hashtag Vigies. We'll Ooh, call them, I like it. And then hashtag visions coming up uh, gave more planetary biomes, more colorful worlds, new fauna and flora, archaeology, salvaging so much more beyond uh, expanded on next that actually brought VR. So we brought VR support as well as improved AI synthesis brought improved features that beyond was putting in alongside community led quality of life improvements, living ship, uh, actually brought us some new missions, plus a living ship. You'll learn more about that as you play. <laughs> Desolation uh, added, like, the spooky mode. It's like right around with Halloween update, where, like, there's, like, these Ooh, defunct freighters. Scary. Yeah, it's much more than alien idea of, like, these defunct freighters you go to, and they're they're overrun by these creepy alien organisms that you have to fight through to actually, like, salvage some good stuff. Then we had Origins which is actually the 3.0 update, which brought so much more to variety in the universe, new creatures, terrains, planets, weather, buildings, so much more. Next Generation uh, brought enhanced graphics to the next generation of consoles and brought everything that needed to happen as well as enhanced things for PC players. Next was Companions, which is uh, Alex's favorite, hands down, uh, which was where you could actually adopt alien creatures and explore side by side with them. And you could have them
1: so you can basically mount them with guns, protect you, help you find stuff. Beautiful. Companions in game always offer maybe the most fun experiences. Oh, my God. It's going so much back fun. even to the early Halo stuff when you're riding in the warthog and you got one guy in the passenger seat, one mm-hmm. guy man in the turret. Those are your best friends for the next five minutes till they oh inevitably it, die. And that's and I love
0: it. I, 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 I want to keep all my companions forever. And in this one, I've got some great ones. I've got basically a meatball jellyfish. It's fantastic. I also have Meatball the Cat, also fantastic. Great nice. times as a companion. <laughs> After Companions, they added a bit more with Expedition and Expedition Beachhead, which allows these new game modes to do challenge missions. So instead of just doing the, the main mission, it actually has like side quests and other challenges to do. Next was Prisms, which is the current update as we we're recording this, which dramatically refreshes the No Man's Sky experience with a range of new visual features and technology. Makes everything look better. Just creature for all these things that make it look like a really high-end game. And announced on, on pulling the date up as we speak, on August 9th, coming up for the the fifth anniversary for No Man's Sky, uh, we actually had a Murray release Frontiers, which is an update, who knows, and who knows when, but it's coming. It was recently announced on the 5th anniversary of No Man's Sky and will be the newest update for the series for all existing players.
1: Man, we got
0: updates yesterday, baby. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. When did this game come out? Five years ago, yesterday. Wow. So five years in, we're still getting major updates that have cost no money to the player and it was constantly being added to the game. So again, this insane passion
1: project just keeps building and building and building. So let's move on. The music and sound. No Man's Sky features a soundtrack by English post-rock band 65 Days of Static, or 65 DOS, as well as procedurally generated ambient music composed by Paul Weir. The game uses a generative music system called Pulse, developed by Weird, using a large library of loops, textures, and melodies created by 65DOS to randomly create music to accompany the gameplay, reacting to the changeable terrain and becoming more or less menacing depending on whether a character is in danger. 65DOS became involved in the project when Hello Games, preparing their debut trailer, contacted them about using their song Debutante for it. As Murray had been a fan of the band. The developers sent along some of the concept arts the band could consider the offer. And the band, impressed by what they saw, gave Hello Games their permission and offered to help create the rest of the game soundtrack. 65 DOS had been interested in doing a video game soundtrack following their album Wild Light and subsequent live tours. Having used software tools to help craft more interactive shows and felt the same concepts could be applied to video games, which are traditionally non-linear experiences. So I love that inclusion of just the idea of like, I mean, we're kind of doing that on tour.
0: Like we want to, you know, we'll be different for every show we play, every different arena that we're in. So why
1: not do something like that for video games? That sounds like it's such a cool idea. And you see this happen now you have so many lights that react to sound and things. So when that big crash happens in a band all of a sudden all the lights blow up. Mm-hmm. I mean you could definitely see where they would feel connected to a game like this. Initially Hello Games asked 65 Dos to create numerous songs in their band style with very little additional direction. The band described their instruction from Hello Games as quote write the next 65 days of static album. <laughs> At this point, Hello Games' intent would be to then take 65DOS's songs and tear them down into segments they could use for procedural music generation. So basically, Murray was just such a fan of 65DOS, he's like, whatever you guys write is going to be perfect, so don't worry about it. However, the band wanted to be more involved in the process, helping to deconstruct the songs themselves, knowing of the broad approach Hello Games was taking for the game. They developed a music sequencer logic system for use within Ableton Live and programmed extensions for Unity and FMOD that approximated the procedural generation approach Hello Games used for the game. They subsequently used these to help craft their songs, at times letting the procedural generation take over as to create a vast array of sounds. Subsequently, the band sent these songs and snippets to Ware, along with documentation on how to apply and alter some of the songs to allow him to incorporate it into the game's soundtrack. Ware provided 65 DOS feedback on some changes and additions, such as additional arpeggios to use for some segments of the game. So basically using this procedural generation, it's like an AI album almost. You're basically cutting your
0: song together and creating it all and creating these different parts of it but then allowing it to run through these algorithms to build it out to create different sounds, even though it's the same sound for different things. So think of it the same way they create the animals. They have kind of a library of animal parts. They get kind
1: of mashed together for certain scenarios. And that's somewhat what they're doing with that music. And so important for basically a continuously looping soundtrack. And when you have a game that's as open-ended as this, it is important to be able to not only have a continuously looping soundtrack that's not always necessarily utilizing gaps and things to start itself over, to be able to not only include that, but to also create some sort of atmosphere, like we said, when you're entering danger, where you're... It's just important that they're able to make sure that things make sense, make sure that they make sense musically. They're not jarring transitions. And so taking the same approach on the album that hello games did for no man's sky is a very very smart way of doing this soundtrack
0: yeah and so Weir also developed a similar generative audio system for the ambient sounds within the game Weir developed an audio procedural generation system called voc alien that allowed him to create a system of animal calls that can be readily altered by adjusting a number of parameters so making them lower higher longer you know to make it all work within the size of the animal Ten original works and six soundscapes composed by 65DOS for the game were released on its soundtrack, No Man's Sky, Music for an Infinite Universe, which was released on both digital and retail formats alongside the game on August 10th, 2016. I Am 8-Bit released the soundtrack on a two-LP disc vinyl record set alongside the game's release. Soundtrack zero, Alex, wait, nope, nope, Alex, zero. I don't have this one. And I want this. So Alex, zero. (laughs) (laughs) One set of songs in this soundtrack are 65 DOS's compositions worked into a typical six-minute song, while the soundscapes are longer pieces that are comparable to 65 DOS's original pieces without strict adherence to any length or format, representing their musical concepts they'd considered and producing songs for No Man's Sky. So yeah, so a bit of their inner workings going through it.
1: So while this game was originally intended to be released as PlayStation 4 exclusive, it's now had multiple release versions. We had the PS4 Standard Edition. We had the Limited Edition, which includes an art book and comic written by Dave Gibbons, James Swallow, and Angus McKee. Dave Gibbons did the art for Watchmen, if you're curious. A little fun Ooh, fact interesting. there. Sony released a limited edition bundle with No Man's Sky and a custom faceplate for the PlayStation 4 in Europe. It was released on Microsoft Windows. A limited run Explorer's edition for the Windows version published by im included a miniature replica of one of the game's spacecraft along other materials. It was also released on the Xbox One, the PlayStation 5, the Xbox Series X and S, and it's on Xbox Game Pass. So yeah, so it's seen its way through kind of the major systems and the updates that's gone along with it. And all
0: those updates that I had recently just talked about are applied to every version of the game. So it's overall sweeping, nothing you have to do but download it online to get that update to the game, and you are G2G. Good to go. (laughs) Now, within a day of the game's official launch, Hello Games reported that more than 10 million distinct species were registered by players. Exceeding the estimated 8.7 million species identified to date on Earth. On the first day of the Windows release, No Man's Sky saw more than 212,000 concurrent players on Steam, exceeding the largest number of concurrent players for most other games, including other 2016 releases such as XCOM 2 and Dark Souls 3. Chartcheck reported that sales of the physical release of No Man's Sky in the UK during the first week was the second largest PlayStation 4 launch title published by Sony, following only Uncharted 4 and the fifth highest across all publishers and Sony formats. However, a week later, these numbers had dropped significantly. The concurrent player count on Steam fell under 23,000 and UK sales fell by 81% in the second week. The number of concurrent players on Steam fell to around 2100 by the end of September 2016. So. In less than two months, it went from 212000 to almost less than 2000 While the player drop-off after release is common in games, the drop-off rate for No Man's Sky was considered unusually high. Steam Spy reported that No Man's Sky had the third highest hype factor, a statistical measure of concurrent player drop-off from publicly available reports of all games released on Steam from the start of 2016 to August of that year. So, hyped up. Fell off real quick. The game was the top downloaded title from the PlayStation store in the month of August 2016. Physical sales of No Man's Sky across both PlayStation 4 and Windows in August 2016 made it the second highest selling game in North America by revenue that month, according to NPD Group. Super Data Research stated that for the month of August 2016, No Man's Sky was the second highest grossing game in digital sales across all consoles and sixth highest for PC. Steam developer Valve reported that No Man's Sky was one of the top 12 highest grossing revenue games available on the platform during 2016. While Steam Spy estimated that more than 823,000 copies were sold in 2016 for a total gross revenue of around 43 million. So, from August to December, made $43 million. With the release of Next and the Xbox One version of the title in July 2018, Superdata reported No Man's Sky was the sixth top-selling console game globally for the month, bringing around $24 million across all platforms. At the 2019 Game Developers Conference, Murray stated that sales figures for No Man's Sky Next were comparable to what would satisfy a large AAA publisher at launch. After the game was added to the Xbox Game Pass service in June 2020, Hello Games reported a month later that No Man's Sky had seen more than $1 new players. Wow. So, uh, again, a game that was kind of considered dead in water, awful launch, doing terrible, is seeing concurrent player counts rise and rise and rise
1: and rise. And I think that's because people believe in this game and it's a game Mm -hmm. that they wanted and they were disappointed by the way that it was released and I think that's understandable. I understand that frustration. I don't understand some of the reactions and some of the messages, but I do understand the frustration and I think that They've redeemed themselves in the way that they've handled this game. They've gone. They've done the updates. Now we're talking literally yesterday before we record this episode. They're still doing updates for this game, and there's not a lot of games that get support like that these days. You go back to the very beginning of this podcast. We're talking about a man leaving Electronic Arts because he was so tired of developing sequels for games that he felt were essentially just... Slightly updated versions of games. Mm -hmm. If you were to look at that approach of gaming or this one, I would take this one every single time because I don't want a game that's essentially just a reskinned version of itself. I think that No Man's Sky has taken the right approach here and I think the updates have been successful and it's cool to see the community reacting to that.
0: All right, to wrap up the glory of what (laughs) No Man's Sky has done. Let's talk about some awards they have. So they won the Innovation Award and was nominated for the Best Technology Award for the 2017 Game Developers Choice Awards. Murray and other members of Hello Games had attended the GDC, but had no expectations of winning anything, given the game's reputation by that point, and opted to go elsewhere for dinner when they were named the winners of the Innovation Award. So they weren't even there to accept it because they're like... Why are we going? We flopped. (laughs) There's no point in being here except for like receiving worst game developer award. So let's go grab some burgies or something. Let's get out of here. Let's enjoy our night. Not knowing that they were going to win. PC Gamer named No Man's Sky its best ongoing game award in 2017. And Shaq News considered it the best comeback in 2017, both praising the updates added in the year since its launch that had improved how one interacted with the game. Beyond VR was nominated for Best Game Expansion and Best VR AR Game at the 2016 Golden Joystick Awards for the latter category at the GA 2019s and for Evolving Game at the 16th British Academy Awards and won the award for XR Game of the Year at the 2020 South by Southwest Gaming Awards. So still, to this date of last year in 2020, we're recording this, still won awards for it for all the updates that are coming with it. All the amazing stuff that this small team has put together is fantastic.
1: So obviously this game sticking around as long as it has, being as hyped as it was, it's very influential. But the discrepancy between No Man's Sky's expectation and its initially released product are considered a milestone in video game promotion, with many sources considering how to properly promote a game in a post-No Man's Sky world. The situation around the game's promotion using screenshots and videos that were not from its final state, a practice known as bullshotting, led to discussion among developers, publishers, and journalists of how to best showcase upcoming games without being deceptive to the audience. Keeley, who felt some responsibility for the No Man's Sky situation, announced that all games that would be shown at the Game Awards 2016 would be more focused on gameplay, of near-completed games using a Let's Play-type format rather than allowing for scripted or pre-rendered videos. Several journalists attribute a change in Valve's Steam storefront policies in November 2016, requiring all game screenshots and videos to be from the final product as a response to No Man's Sky. The failure of No Man's Sky's promotional aspects has affected other space simulation and open-world games that are based on the premise of providing a vast-ranging sandbox for players, as players have become very wary like that, very wary of the broad claims that these games might make. Novaquark, the developers of the upcoming open-world dual universe, found themselves struggling to complete their Kickstarter funding in the months immediately after No Man's Sky's release but have recognized the need to be open and transparent to potential funders on what the game will and will not have. Phoenix Fire, the developers of the space exploration game Osiris New Dawn, used the various questions and answers that Sean Murray had to handle during the pre-release period to gauge what players were looking for in such games and guide development of their own. According to a report from Kotaku, Bioware had envisioned that Mass Effect Andromeda would use procedural generation for creating a universe to explore prior to No Man's Sky's announcement, and further pushed for this following the excitement for No Man's Sky once it was announced, but could not get the procedural generation to work well with the Frostbite 3 game engine, and had to scrap these plans by 2015. So potentially going to have that same idea in Andromeda when it was being produced, and yet we just got... What it was. (laughs) Eurogamer's Wesley Yin Pool observed that following No Man's Sky's problematic release, developers appear to be, quote, keeping their cards close to their chests for fear of failing to deliver on a promise that never should have slipped out in the first place. As an example, he stated that rares Sea of Thieves, whereas having only been promoted through obscure videos that left too many questions to potential players in its earlier stages, has started a quote insider program in December 2016 to provide limited alpha testing access and more concrete gameplay videos. Similarly, Compulsion Games, who premiered their game We Happy Few at PAX East 2015 to similar hype as No Man's Sky, worked to backtrack on perceived expectations of their game after seeing what had happened to No Man's Sky at its launch. Specifically, Compulsion a small developer, found that many were treating their game as a AAA release and wanted to be clear what the game was to be, deciding to use the early access approach to provide transparency. So, you know,
0: there's a lot of learning influences it definitely had. And and trying to showcase what a game hyped like that, that again, I joked as like a quadruple A title, you know, larger than life, affected a lot just outside of that network, space-based, exploration games even EA trying to model an idea on that. It's really interesting to see how this all came about and what people have learned from it. And, you know, even Murray and the Hello Games crew continue to learn. No Man's Sky is everything that can go wrong and right with a game and its marketing. What started out as an extremely ambitious space exploration game, No Man's Sky has evolved into so much more with base building, companions, and a universal trading market. The hype and buildup that No Man's Sky received was fanatical and gave people the idea that this was the game to end all games. We unfortunately have seen this same hype in launch with CD Projekt Red's Cyberpunk 2077, who is currently on the same path to correct the hype, and, in their case, an unfinished game. And I'll end this episode on a positive note with this final quote from Murray, just as I am writing this episode, stating, quote, And finally, as we push forward to 2021, our next update, Frontiers, is something I'm very excited about. In some ways, it is just another update, but in other ways, it's a missing piece of the sci-fi fantasy that we've always wanted to add, and very fitting for our fifth anniversary. So definitely looking towards those frontiers, towards those futures of the game, towards what is this missing link? What is this missing piece of sci-fi? I assume it's just a bunch of R2-D2s, but hey, one can dream. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, that's our total coverage of No Man's Sky, you know, a game that I think we'll go down as the biggest save, the biggest redemption in gaming history for a passion project from a a small, small team that is carrying the weight of a
1: AAA title. I 100% agree with you. And it's hard. You want your game to be as successful as possible, right? It's your passion project. Mm -hmm. You're excited about the game. And when you see other people excited about the game, it's hard to not over-promise, I think. It's hard to not say, oh yeah, that's going to be in there. I think Because you have such a grandiose vision for yep. what this game can be. But it is a big challenge to fit all those things in. Obviously, they had already written, we said, 160,000 lines of code at one point. They're getting closer to release. I think that they really put a lot on their shoulders and that's difficult and it's a hard thing to swallow, especially when the launch happens and this game... Just kind of, you know, scrapes its knee, falls over right away. Doesn't do that good. It's like a little kid crying on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that analogy means, but I do know I don't like it.
0: <laughs> it was a, it was something. So, as we're getting into this, you know, I, I let's 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 talk more about it and bring this in depth. You know, you're getting to the point, but Derek, as always, why do we choose this game, and what do you think of it?
1: Well, a 5-year release is a big milestone for any video game, mm-hmm. especially one that still has legs. This game as of yesterday is still announcing updates, and I think that's a really big deal. There are certain games that have legs and a lot of times you're buying DLCs and, you know, all that's great and well and good and eventually you get a reskin maybe, you get a remastered version. Maybe sure. it includes some of that extra content for No Man's Sky to be heading toward the next gen consoles, to be still available, to still be updating itself. I feel like is a really significant thing. And I, I wish that more developers would follow suit with this type of game. Mm-hmm. So this is a game that when it came out, I was very, very excited for. I saw the trailer, the E3 trailer uh, in 2014. I saw the dinosaurs and the amazing grass and the landscape, and you can go and discover and space travel and battle and all these really cool aspects. And then when the game got leaked and all the reviews were very disappointing, you know, people were running into each other or not being able to actually interact with each other. And then some of the Landscapes were desolate and some of the things just weren't working to the level that was promised. I basically just tuned this game out from that Mm -hmm. point on. This game was nothing more than a massive failure to me and I wanted nothing to do with it. But with all the updates that have come out, I think that I need to explore this game again. It's not a game that I've played because like I said, I was just never going to touch it again. I had heard people Kind of venturing back in and maybe giving it a second shot. I didn't Mm -hmm. realize until this episode the scope at which they had actually updated this game. And I think this game is far more interesting now than even what was promised in 2014, 2015. Sure. And it seems like a really cool one. And I think this is a game that I need to give a second chance because... I was in that Reddit world. I mean, in 2015, for sure, I definitely saw the backlash of this game. And now that I've kind of seen that one too many times, I realize that it could be a little harsh, overly harsh over on Reddit. And I think that it, like I said, I I think it's probably worth giving a second shot, especially with the developer's really embracing this as a passion project and being willing to give out those free updates
0: i absolutely agree with that and and i know you and i have talked about this before but for your review i know it was more of like it's kind of a no contest or, or no review just because it's changed so much from even just when you initially saw it and there, it's, it's not really fair to give that so that's why i'm here <laughs> no numbers for me uh, but no, I, I chose No Man's Sky for this episode and put the passion just uh, as, as many of you guys have heard at this point. It's a beefcake episode. It's, it's a lot in this episode. And I wanted to make sure to tell the full scope of the story from what went wrong and what went right and what is in this game now, especially didn't include all of it. You know, it's just way too much to kind of expand upon, especially when they added vehicles and mechs and space exploration even further and owning a fleet and owning multiple ships and, and all these different things that are in there. It's just such a game that has changed. I was never a space kid growing up. I, I was never a dinosaur or a space kid. This turned me into a space kid. I love the idea of those 70s and 80s sci-fi covers. Grandiose colors and schemes and just like what they want to imagine everything's like. And that's what the Hello Games team has done and put that into digital paper in, in a way. Put it down on and, and something you can explore and physically go to. and. I won't spoil any of the stuff that some of the planets have, but there's some crazy things on some of the planets that like, I'm just like walking around doing my thing. And I'm like, what is that? You know, just some grandiose landscapes and creatures and flora and fauna that are there. It's just so cool. And I know with this new update, they're going to, they've added so much more to the cave biomes before there was, you know, you'd go to a cave and it's okay, but they've added so much to that. Just like they added to the oceans and the water as just an entire skate. There's so much to this game. The multiplayer is there and it's fun to play base build. That's the one thing I hope improves just a little bit is making this a bit more of a multiplayer game with your friends. I don't care about other people. I just want to play with my friends a bit and it is janky at points, but it works for what it needs to be. So if I had to give this a score, I would give it all the pets that I own right now and just list those. One, I have Meatball, who's a saber-toothed tiger. Mmm, super awesome. I have One. That is just this blob that I found in a cave. And it's just this squishy blob that has coral on it. and it has two googly goopy arms and it jumps around like a little blob. Fantastic. And it eats poop. Great things happen wow. there. Next, I have a watermelon. It's a giant fat dinosaur with no neck with watermelon stripes. Watermelon is a big boy. <laughs> and finally, I have a squishy jellyfish that looks like meatball with spaghetti on it. And it is lovely. And these are my creatures, and it's so much fun. And I've seen so much of the game from other people. And when I streamed it on Twitch for a bit, I had people show me their ship and their armadas and their planets and their refineries. There's farms that people are making to farm certain like toxic chemicals. It's only available on this planet. It's beyond me out of 10. That's my whole review right there.
1: I like it. But again,
0: it's, it's such a fantastic game. If you haven't checked it out yet, Check it on your platform of choice. It usually goes on sale on occasion. I think with this update, we'll probably see another sale coming up plausibly. If not, Game Pass. Check it out on there. It's it's all included. Hit me up. We'll play some No Man's Sky. I definitely want to jump in again. I actually loaded it back up and just like on my planet Florida. Had to check out Florida. You know how it'd be <laughs> in those, those beautiful swamplands.
1: Um, loaded planet it back Florida. up. Just, oh yeah.
0: Planet Florida is where to be, baby. Uh, just to check out like all the cool stuff in there. It's just so, so much fun. Please check it out if you haven't.
1: It's beautiful. Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall, and it was written by Alex Kendall. I don't like it. Good job, buddy. Thank it's you good very much. stuff. Music for this episode was written and composed and recorded by our friend Evan Barr. Absolutely. And let's go
0: ahead and always, as always, thank those on Patreon that have been supporting us throughout this for years now at this point, which is insane. But thank you all so much for the support. Again, check it out. We've added some new things. We're running a D&D campaign with our patrons. We're adding in a Minecraft server for our patrons, as well as new merch, shirts, updates, all that's on there. Please check it out if you haven't. I want to give a shout out to some of those patrons today. And let's start with Tactics. Sky the Bear, Grant Dillon, Mr. Choff, Trace, Nick Hyman, Richard Scanlon, Mick Chief, Climbing Spork, Mr. 1898, William Krull, Mr. Toot, and Kevin Benson. So thank you all so much for the support. Truly, truly appreciate it, and uh,
1: you're the best. If you haven't yet, join our social media platforms. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're on Discord. We'd love to see you there. Alex and I are hanging out all the time. We've got a new Pokemon bot. It's Pokemon time over in the Discord chat. We're having a good time catching some mons. Oh, yeah. Having a good time playing some D&D out there. If you're a patron, we'd love to see you as a part of our game. But if you decide, hey, those things aren't really for me, there's general Discord chats and we'd still love to see you. Absolutely.
0: And if you haven't checked, we are revitalizing our Etsy shop with some new prints, stickers and a couple of other ideas I have strumming up. It's just when well, I can get the time to get around to it, but we'll have some new merch up there for you as well. And that is over at Etsy.com slash finish the fight store. And check us out on Twitch over at twitch.tv slash sourman70, S-O-U-R-M-A-N-70, and Derek over at twitch.tv slash thebakerman247, the baker man247.
1: You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast listening platform. If you can't find us there, send us a message. Let us join up. We could do that it'll be great and if you haven't yet please give us a review we'd love to hear from you guys it helps us out a lot the feedback is something we love to read and it helps us out immensely absolutely and
0: again that was our coverage of hello games no man's sky what do you think of it did you play it back then Have you played it now I'd love to hear it I would love to hear your creepy animals that you have my favorite part of the game <laughs> and with that I am your host Alex Kendall and I'm your host Derek Baker and this again As always, has been Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast.